We turn now to the author of Unshakable Faith with a message that I want to share with you that I've titled, Love Let Loose. We'll be in Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, please find your way to Luke chapter 7. We'll join in there together here in just a few moments. But have you ever considered why the world is so captivated by love? I mean, it seems as though every other movie is either a story of love lost and regained, or at least it contains some sort of subplot where some of the characters are involved in that very sort of thing. Likewise, when you listen to music on the popular radio stations, there is a wealth of songs that are pertaining to love. And we've all probably experienced our own disappointments and our own losses when it comes to this matter of love. Sometimes our efforts to find love are rejected. Other times our motives in searching for love are mistaken. And still other times our priorities when it comes to love get out of whack. And so love grows cold. And deep within us there is this longing for a greater love. And ultimately, we all long for a sort of love that never gives up. A love that overlooks our wrongs. A love that provides for us safety and security. That's the sort of love that we say we can commit ourselves to. That's the sort of love that we want to devote ourselves to. And my friends, that's the sort of love that God offers to us in Christ. It's a love which he takes the initiative to provide through great forgiveness and a love that each of us should respond to with a great love of our own. And so I just want to ask you as we get started today, how are you on the thermometer of your love for our great God? Has your love grown cold? How much do you love the Lord Jesus? If he's forgiven your sins, then your life ought to be characterized by a devotion like none other. That's what Jesus draws out for us as we turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. So turn there with me, if you will, and let's stand, if you're able to, and let's honor the reading of God's word together, beginning in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting to dine with him. That is Jesus. He wants to dine with Jesus. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he, that is Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 
when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You may be seated. Here in this passage, Luke is a master artist. I mean, he draws for us this vivid picture of what is happening here through this event. And it's a picture of a dinner party. In verse 36, we see that all that happens begins with a simple invitation. One of the Pharisees was requesting that Jesus would dine with him. Now, we've already seen a lot about these Pharisees as we've been through this Gospel of Luke. To this point, we've noticed that the Pharisees are this elite bunch of Jews, this elite bunch within the sect of Judaism in Jesus' day. They studied so intently the Old Testament, the Law of Moses. They were fastidious to keep every requirement of God's law through Moses. In fact, they even expanded the law of God. They expanded the law of Moses and they added on top of it extra provisions, extra protection, so that they could be sure that they would shield themselves in their everyday activities from falling into carrying out something which would violate God's law. These were things which were ultimately not from God, but they treated everybody else like they needed to be living according to their same standards, these same interpretations and regulations that they had built on top of God's word. And so in that, they built up these heavy burdens, we see Jesus describing, that were were weighing down their fellow Jews as they tried to find their way into a right relationship with God. So the Pharisees, they're very much legalists. They thought that they were earning for themselves a greater standing before God because they thought they were doing enough. They thought they were putting in enough efforts. They thought that their efforts to honor God's words with their outward actions would be enough. But inside, as Jesus draws us to over and over again, these individuals, these Pharisees were full of pride and they were empty of love. And so when they encountered others who needed God's grace, what they did is is they evaluated themselves as the holy ones and they judged others as being unworthy of God. They condemned others by their very actions. And so as you might imagine, these individuals were often at odds with Jesus. We've seen that already as we've been through our study through Luke because Jesus came to save and to restore sinners 
And Pharisees were going to do everything that they could to be sure that they were staying out of the influence of sinners. And it's one of these Pharisees, a man who we learn later in the passage here today that his name is Simon. It's this one who invites Jesus for dinner. Now in Jesus' day, those who had means would host these elaborate dinners so that they could share conversation with notable individuals. So if they knew of certain individuals who would be very prominent in the city, if there were individuals who were prominent who were passing through, they would invite them over as an opportunity to entertain. And Luke really doesn't give us the reason why Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus over. Now it's possible that as a Pharisee, as a member of this group that was following Jesus around, watching everything that he was doing, trying to catch him in something that he was doing wrong, it's possible that Simon is trying to set a trap. It's possible that Simon is trying to get Jesus into a place where he can ask him a tough question or find out some truth that he can then pin to him and say, you are speaking blasphemy. But, but ultimately, Luke doesn't give us insight into that. It's possible also that, that really Simon just wanted to build up his own reputation. Maybe Simon really just wanted this miracle worker who he'd heard about who was coming through town to come into his home so that his home would be a well-known sort of place in the community. It's even possible here that, that Simon simply wants to consider for himself whether or not Jesus is the one that he's been waiting for. That same sort of question that we looked at last week that John the Baptist was asking as he sent his own disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one that we've been waiting for or should we expect someone else? And while Luke ultimately doesn't give us Simon's motives for having Jesus over for dinner, I think the fact that, that Simon speaks what he speaks in verse 39 gives us a little bit of a hint. He seems to be in his mind trying to evaluate what Jesus has been doing and evaluate whether or not Jesus truly is a prophet. Because you, you remember, as Jesus raised the son of the widow from Nain, this only son, as, as Jesus raised this one from the dead, he did so in this prophetic territory and the people began to ask a question and they began to say things like a prophet has come to visit us god has visited his people so all of this news about a great prophet coming had been spreading across the land and it's quite possible and i think even likely from what we see simon saying to himself in verse 39 that that simon was trying to evaluate is jesus truly the prophet that people say that he is because when Jesus responds like he responds in this passage, this man says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know. And then he goes on to explain certain things that he would expect a prophet to know. And so it seems like Simon's here inviting Jesus in to kind of get a better grasp on his ministry. Is this really a representative from God? But back to the idea of this dinner party, this, this dinner gathering that would be held in Jesus' day, those who had means like the Pharisee in this passage, they would typically have large homes. The homes would have this courtyard area in the middle, which was open, and then rooms that went around the outside of that courtyard. And then somewhere within would be a table with long couches that were spread kind of around the sides. Now, you can think of these couches more in our day as kind of like comfortable benches because they didn't have the backs or the nice arms or, you know, what we're used to when we sit on the couch, right? But these are, these are longer benches 
that didn't have arms or backs, and people would be invited to dine, and they would recline on the couches. So they would kind of lean up against one arm, having another arm free to grab the food, so that they could have these prolonged meals of relaxation and good conversation with one another. And so that's kind of the scene. That's why we read in verse 36 that Jesus entered the house of the Pharisee and reclined at the table. He is laid on one of these couches. Now, in that day of dusty and muddy roads with nothing but leather thong sandals to cover someone's feet, you can imagine that feet got pretty dirty, right? I mean, if you just march around in leather sandals all day on dusty and muddy roads, you're going to get some pretty nasty feet. And so there were customs when it came to these dinner gatherings on how a host ought to treat those who would gather in his home. One hosting a formal dinner like this would typically give his guests water so that they could wash their feet. Or many times they would even send their own servant to wash the guests' feet. And then those guests would recline with their feet facing away from the table just as a matter of what we would expect, right? Feet get nasty, feet get dirty. You don't want them close to your food. And so as they're reclining on the couches, you can imagine the feet facing away And then those guests would recline in that way, and and the host would typically have this manner of greeting, this kind of formal greeting, where he would kiss the one who was coming on one of his cheeks as just a matter of showing that this is a peaceful sort of visit. You are peacefully welcomed into this home. And then he would offer oil to to refresh one's face. You you might think of of some ladies going to refresh themselves in in the bathroom, right? It's the same sort of thing in a day when you you didn't have the same sort of standards of hygiene, the same availability of flowing water and sinks and, and things that we're used to in our day. Usually they would take this oil and they would kind of use it to refresh their faces, and, and they would come to the table then once they'd taken this oil in a little bit more of a dignified sort of manner. Now, one of the custom that I should mention was that these mills were open to the community. We, we don't tend to think much of that now. Uh, I mean, typically, when somebody in our day has someone who is a prominent individual to their home for a meal, they're going to lock the gates outside, right? They're going to be locking the doors. They're going to be ensuring that no one comes in to interrupt this time. But that just wasn't the case in Jesus' day. You see, they didn't have Netflix or Hulu or cable TV or, or Internet, you know, your, your mobile devices. So the entertainment for them in that day was to gather around and to watch the conversation that would happen at these great meals. These meals were public affairs. And, and the doors would be open. And individuals from the community would be allowed to gather around the outskirts of the room just witnessing the conversation that took Place. It was a form of entertainment here in, in that day. So that's where, G, where, where Luke's vivid picture of Jesus begins. Jesus, the miracle worker, and Simon the Pharisee are now reclined at the table with people gathering all around the outer perimeter of this room so that they can listen in on the conversation that Jesus and Simon are having. But then a, a character who is much different than either Jesus or Simon enters the story. Luke Luke introduces her in an abrupt sort of way that we probably wouldn't want to be introduced in verse 37. He introduces her with these words. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. That's a pretty tough way to be introduced, isn't it? And, And we all know 
here at the outset because of what Luke reveals for us that this woman's appearance in this moment simply is characterized by those around knowing and having full awareness that she is a sinner. Luke doesn't say what made her a sinner. Some preachers and scholars that I have read speculate that this woman was, in fact, a prostitute. Why would they make that connection? Well, whatever the nature of this woman's sin was, it was well known by everyone in the town. When the locals thought of this woman, all they could think of was her sin. This was her identifying characteristic. And she had been engaged in something that everyone obviously knew about. Even the high and the holy Pharisee Simon, who sought to steer clear of sin, knew about this woman. He knew about her sin. We read his thoughts in verse 39, which show that he is keenly aware himself of who and what sort of person this woman is, that she is a sinner, is what Simon is thinking to himself. So whatever this woman's sin is, it was, it was a sin that everybody knew about. It was a sin that everybody talked about. It was a sin that caused everyone to whisper about her when she came through. It was a sin that made her a mockery of the whole town. And the chief thing that people in town thought about when they saw this woman was her sin. So it seems very likely to me then that either this woman was a prostitute or at least a woman of some loose morals who was known to openly do things that everybody knew she should not be doing, things that were sinful. And you know what sinful men do when they learn about a loose woman with loose morals and sinful tendencies? They use her and they abuse her. They make her an instrument of their own sinful passions. They go to her when they want a good time and then they cast her aside as unworthy of anything more than that. And this was surely a woman who was used to being rejected. She was an outcast. And so when she comes to Jesus, Simon the Pharisee expects that Jesus is going to treat this woman the same way that everybody else in town was expected to treat her. Simon thought, surely if Jesus knew what sort of woman this is, that she's a sinner... He would not welcome her to touch him. But something draws this woman to the dinner party. Something catches her attention. In fact, when she learns that Jesus is reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house in verse 37, she responds. She sets into action. She goes where Jesus is. She must find her way to his presence. She grabs a vial of perfume, this expensive, costly liquid, and she sets out on a mission. And it becomes apparent to us through these verses that Jesus is very special to this woman, sinner as she may be. She knows him. Just, just a word of his arrival causes her to long to be in his presence. How did she know Jesus? Well, Luke doesn't tell us that. And I personally can't help but wonder if perhaps she was one of those sinners who was gathered around Levi's table back in Luke chapter 5. If you remember, Levi was a tax collector, the worst of all kinds of sinners who had abused the people and taken away their things and given them to a government, which was a foreign ruling power. And Levi left his tax booth and he followed Jesus. 
And as he did so, he held this great banquet at his home. And Levi invited all of the folks that he knew. They were tax collectors. And the Pharisees called them out as sinners. And they ridiculed Jesus for having meals with individuals like this woman that we see here in Luke chapter 7. And when when the Pharisees chided Jesus for gathering with these individuals back in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus gave them a lesson that this woman needed to know. And perhaps even she heard it there. But Jesus said, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so here's a sinful woman who really has come to find the reality of Jesus's ministry, the heart of his ministry. He came to call sinners who were sick with sin to repentance so that they might be made well through his grace. And that's the recurring thing we see throughout Luke's gospel. Jesus came for the outcast. Jesus came for those who were sick and rejected and in need of something beyond themselves to make them whole. And Luke continually draws our attention back to the outcasts of society, including this woman that Luke uniquely records about here in Luke chapter 7. And so that's why I've titled this series of messages, which you see on the screen now through the, through the book of Luke. We, we, we titled this series Outcast because Luke is indeed a gospel for the rejected. Luke continually brings this to the forefront. Luke continually shows us that Jesus, as the Savior of the world, brings for us a gospel for the rejected. And so I'll say this, if you have been rejected, if you have been weighed down, if you have been counted out because of your sin, then my friends, you need to hear that this is good news for you because Jesus has come to make you well. Jesus has come. And even though you've been rejected, even though you've been weighted down by your sin, Jesus has come with good news for you. He has come to make you well. He invites you to come close to him. And Jesus is always found welcoming the penitent sinner who comes to him by faith. That's what we see in this passage today, this weeping mess of a woman. When she learns that Jesus is at the dinner party in town, she makes her way to him and she lets her love loose. She shows Jesus great love, unhindered love, love let loose. She extends to the Savior the honor that his host had withheld from him. And with those tears and a heart that's overwhelmed, she is crying profusely. And so she uses those tears to wash his feet. She uses her hair to dry those feet. She kisses his feet. She anoints his feet with the best of her perfume. And I don't think anyone who saw this event or anyone who had reads about it now through this gospel account would question whether or not this woman loved Jesus. I mean, she's showing a great display of devotion. She's showing a great display of love. Her actions make it clear that she had a great love for Jesus. And so it's clear that in all that she does to Jesus as he's reclined at the table, that her heart is devoted to Jesus. And so in this parable that Jesus presents to explain her actions, Jesus reveals a great truth for us. It's a truth 
that will ultimately drive us to his grace and will then fuel us for his service. And so here's the truth I want you to understand from God's word today. It's this. The forgiveness that Jesus offers ought to let love loose in our devotion to him. Let me say that again. The forgiveness that Jesus offers ought to let love loose in our devotion to him. Now, Jesus was deliberate in all that he said and did during his ministry here on earth. There were only a few years when he was here. Very deliberate, very intentional in all that he did. No encounter with Jesus that's described for us here in the scriptures is a chance encounter. Jesus knew about the cold heart of the Pharisee who was inviting him to dinner. And he knew about the great love of the sinful woman who would come to honor him there. And so Jesus accepts the invitation of one that he might bring these two individuals together. Jesus has got a plan in mind. He sees the need to connect these two individuals on this day because one of them needs to learn from the other. But it's not what you would expect. It's not the religious scholar. It's not the one who knows God's law and has been walking to the best of his ability in God's paths who needs to teach this sinful woman who all that anyone knows her by is her sin a lesson. It's not that the religious scholar needs to teach the sinful woman. It may be true that the Pharisee had a lot of head knowledge about God and his law, but he needed to learn the heart knowledge about how sinners should respond to God. And this woman had his lesson on display in her very life. And friends, I just want to say this. It's not enough to know about Jesus in your head. Ultimately, you must have a passion and a longing and a desire for Jesus that overwhelms your heart, that entrusts all that you are and all that you have to him, that he might be the one who would be your rescuer and your redeemer. It's not enough to know that he can do these things, my friends. You see, the demons know and they shudder. But ultimately, Christ calls us to a passionate love for him. We must be willing to entrust our lives to him. And the parable that Jesus speaks in these verses ultimately turns Simon's attention to a consideration of who shows the greatest love. It's a parable that Jesus applies to different receptions that he's received from his host and from the woman who comes as a visitor from the outside. And, and the question that you need to be asking yourself on this day is, how have I received the Lord Jesus? Do I welcome him with an indifferent demeanor that says, I'll let you into my home. I'll listen to your teaching, but I will not yield up my devotion to you. If that's you, if that's your heart, if that's your mentality, then you need to sit down at the school desk with this Simon the Pharisee as he gets schooled by Jesus the Master through this passage today. Because what Simon has seen and what we need to pursue is unhindered love on display. It's the love between a sinner and a savior. And Jesus ultimately sets this sinful woman up as an example for all of us when it comes to great love. And so do you want to find greater love? Well, the example of this woman who is obviously displayed the supreme love for Jesus, will give you a glimpse into how you might find the greatest of all loves. 
Do you want to find the greatest of all loves? Jesus sets this woman forward as an example for how to know the greatest of all loves. So let's learn from her example. And I want to share with you three ways to find the greatest love from the example of this woman. First, let loose of your righteousness. Let loose of your righteousness. The Pharisee in this passage thinks he's righteous. That's clear from what he says about the woman who, he, who comes to visit Jesus. He, in verse 39, he says, If this man were a prophet, he would know that she is a sinner. What does that imply? If he's saying if Jesus should know that, that she's a sinner, Jesus shouldn't let her come and touch his feet. But Jesus should come to my house. Jesus should come and eat a meal with me. He shouldn't have her close because she's a sinner. That implies that he should allow me to come close because I am not, right? This guy's got an, a mentality that thinks that he is righteous. He thinks that he ultimately is right with God, and this woman is not. So we have here a man who clearly thinks that he's righteous and a woman who is fully aware that when she's left to her own devices, she is not. How do we know that? Well, when she comes into Jesus' presence... All she can do is weep. Her heart is overwhelmed with the knowledge of who she is and what he has done for her. She knows she's not righteous. She knows what everybody else has been shouting at her through the years, that she is a sinner. And so she comes and she weeps a stream of tears. And Jesus draws all this confusion about who's righteous and who is not to a to a clear a clear explanation through the parable that he gives and it's amazing that he reads Simon thoughts the, the irony here is so rich you know Simon is here he's thinking about how righteous he is and how Jesus you know if he was a if he was a real prophet he would he would know what kind of woman this is and Jesus is reading his thoughts even as he says that there's just such rich irony in what he says and I'll just say this that, that Jesus knew this Pharisee's thoughts. And Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows what you are thinking. You might be able to hide your self-reliance from me. You might be able to hide your self-reliance from everybody else that's gathered in this place, but you cannot hide your self-reliance from Jesus. He knows your thoughts. And Jesus ultimately wants to call you out for those sorts of self righteous thoughts here today and so he gives a parable which calls for simon to let free let, let loose of his righteousness it's a parable of two debtors given in verses 41 and 42 jesus says a money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii the other 50 now a denarius was about a day's worth of work for a day laborer so you can imagine you work a day you earn a you earn a denarius so one of these men owes what it would take the average guy Two and a half months to earn, right? 50 days worth of labor, about, fit, about two and a half months worth of labor. That's what this guy owes. The other guy owes 500 denarii. So that we're talking about two years worth of labor to earn that much money. There's a pretty big difference in what they owe. It's tenfold, okay? And then we read this interesting tidbit here in verse 42. The verse begins with this. When they were unable to repay... Did you catch that? Neither of these men was able to repay. Neither of them was capable of, of paying back the money which was owed. So either of them could have been in that moment thrown into a debtor's prison. 
Now, one of them might have felt like he'd had a better chance of paying off that debt in the long haul, but the reality is that at this moment, neither one of them is capable of repaying what is owed. And Jesus is calling out the self-righteousness of the Pharisee. He may be less visibly a sinner. People might look at him and say, you know what, he, he doesn't owe God a lot because he's ultimately trying to walk with God. But he still sins against God. He still has pride lurking in his heart. He still has a debt that he cannot pay. And Jesus is showing this man that it, I don't care how much righteousness you think you have, you've still got a debt that you owe. He's drawing Simon's attention to the fact that this woman has acted in a drastic way because she's been forgiven much. She's had a great debt that has been canceled. That's why he gives this parable. In the end, what we find Jesus describes is that the moneylender forgives them both. And the question that he has, the question that Simon answers, at least he takes a guess at, that, that comes out to be uh, the right guess, who will love him more? The answer which Simon guesses correctly is the moneylender, the one who the moneylender forgave more. The one who is forgiven more loves more. It's a simple parallel. We can understand that sort of thing, right? And here in Simon's presence was one who could have forgiven more. He could have forgiven this Pharisee more. I mean, the Pharisee ultimately invited Jesus in. He didn't carry out the customs of the day, but Jesus didn't scurry off. Jesus didn't run away from the scene. Jesus stayed and he had a meal because ultimately Jesus was forgiving these small things that had happened in the life of what this Pharisee was doing and inviting him to dinner and snubbing him socially. But there was a greater forgiveness that was available. And it was a greater forgiveness that ultimately this woman had received. And it was so visible and so rich in the display of what she had done. Nobody questioned whether or not this woman loved Jesus by the things that she did. And it was clear that she was doing what she was doing in these supreme acts of devotion because she had let loose of her own righteousness. She had found a forgiveness. And my friends, so should you. You'll never be able to live the life that God demands for each one of us. Every one of us is a fallen sinner. Every one of us has a certain proclivity to things that we do which are opposed to what our Creator has designed us to do and my friends that is a debt that we cannot pay on our own and so the, f the first way to find the greatest love is to let loose of your righteousness but secondly let loose of your reservations now Simon doesn't get this lesson at first so Jesus has to apply it to him and he applies it by pointing to the sinful woman who's let go of her reservations Simon apparently had a reputation to keep. Sure, he wanted to investigate Jesus, but doing so wouldn't bode well with his fellow Pharisees, right? He wouldn't be too popular in the gathering of Pharisees who were so opposed to Jesus if he came by and said, hey, you know, I had Jesus by my house the other day and I washed his feet and I gave him some oil for his face. What are you doing treating Jesus like that? You mean that guy who's taking our authority away? That guy who's tearing down our system of religion? And so ultimately, that's why we believe that Jesus would not come and receive in this Pharisee's home the water for his feet or a kiss for peace or a, an anointing of his head. And Jesus calls out this Pharisee for the actions that he's carried out and his snubbing of him as a host. 
And, and he contrasts the actions of this Pharisee with the actions of this woman in verses 44 through 40, 46. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And then he comes to the, to the punchline, which really gets which really gets Simon in the gut. He says in verse 47, For this reason I say to you that her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. I mean, Simon's been pretty harsh on handing out generous love in his entertaining of Jesus. And Jesus here, my friends, is not saying that this woman is forgiven because she loved much that would go contrary to everything that we know about the gospel it is by grace that you've been saved through faith that is not of yourselves it is a gift of god lest any man should boast the word tells us but what ultimately we find is that great grace that has been received as jesus describes in this parable results in great love by those who have been forgiven And when this woman desired to have her sins, which were many, forgiven, she let loose of her reservations. And here's an interesting tidbit. In that day and age, women would not let their hair down in public. It was a social taboo to do so. So a woman, when she got married, she would put her hair up on the day of her wedding. She would never again let her hair down in public. To do so would be to, to, just like a woman in our day and age, running out without her clothes on, right? It was a social taboo. You just did not do this sort of thing in public. But this woman wasn't concerned about what was publicly acceptable. She wasn't concerned about her reputation. She essentially says, let the world think of me what the world wants to think of me. And as as she's wiping the dirt and the mud off of Jesus' feet with her tears, she lets her hair loose. And she begins to dry his feet. All of her reservations are gone. She is worshiping with all that she has in this moment. And the contrast is so clear. Here's a man with a reputation to keep and a woman with an eternity to gain. And oh, my friends, that is the opportunity that is ahead of each and every one of you. The opportunity that you could either hold on to a reputation which would last and would be temporary or that you might gain an eternity that would last you forever. Which of these are you choosing, my friends? Which of these is what you cling to for your eternal life? You see, anyone who has laid his or her sins on Jesus has been forgiven. Anyone who's been forgiven by Jesus has been forgiven much. I don't care if you're the least of sinners as a Pharisee keeping the majority of the law or if if you're the, the, the most notorious of sinners as this sinful woman was. If your sins have been forgiven, then you, my friends, have been forgiven greatly. Because ultimately, it's not, the, it's not the number of sins that we commit. It's the God that we commit our sins against that makes the difference. And let me draw this analogy for you. If, if you were walking out one day and you saw a child pulling legs off of a grasshopper, 
you know, you might say, well, that's kind of a cruel child, right? And you'd keep on your way. You probably wouldn't take much time to do anything other than that. Well, what if you walked by and you saw that same child the next day pulling legs off of a kitten? Well, then you're probably going to get some other entities involved, right? You're going, to, you're going to try and get that kitten away from the child. You're going to tell his parents. You're going to say, you know, we really need to take some action on this child. What if, what if you walk by the next day and the child has his little brother and he's got a machete and he's trying to take his little brother's leg off? Well, then you're going to move heaven and earth to get in the way of what this child is trying to do, are you not? And ultimately, it's not the matter of what is done. It is the offense and the value of the individual that is being done against that makes the difference in that scenario. And so, my friends, when we talk about the sin that we commit against an infinitely holy God, even the slightest of those sins, my friends, is something that deserves great wrath, great punishment. And to be forgiven of that, any of those offenses, my friends, would be to find Ultimately, a great forgiveness. And so anyone who finds themselves in this sort of forgiveness through Christ, I don't care whether you've grown up in church and you've always obeyed your parents and and you've always tried to do the right things and, and you've always checked every box, my friends, that's not what matters. What matters is that you have sinned against a holy God and you need forgiveness. So the second way we find to the greatest love is to let loose of your reservations. The third is this, let loose of your rejection. I can only imagine how this woman must have felt as she approached Jesus, the shaking, the quaking, the uncertainty of this woman in her mind. She's been rejected by everyone else in the past. So many others had driven her away. So many others had said, stay away from me, sinful woman. Don't come near me. Don't ruin my reputation. That's what the Pharisee was thinking here. And surely she's thinking in this moment, is Jesus going to treat me the same way that everybody else has treated me? Is he going to reject me? The Pharisee certainly thought that he would. That's why he said if this man was a prophet, he would know. And he would say that this woman's a sinner and he wouldn't let this woman touch him. But friends, know this. Jesus knew what a sinner she was. And he welcomed her to come close to him. And likewise, my friends, you should know this. Jesus knows about your sinful past. And he still wants you to come close to him. And you should know he knows all about your sins. Yet he welcomes you to come. He invites you to find his grace. He offers you the opportunity through his work to hear the words that he speaks to her in verse 48. Your sins have been forgiven. And the words he speaks in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, ultimately, these are shocking words to say, unless that woman had sinned against Jesus. But let's say that, that you had... You'd really done some bad things against Jerry up here on the front row. And, and, you know, you came to me one day and said, you know, I've I've really done some bad things against Jerry. I really owe him a lot of money. And I just said, you know what? Don't worry about that. You're forgiven. You know, you don't don't owe Jerry anything. I'm just going to tell you you're forgiven. Well, that's no good, right? Because you don't owe me. You owe Jerry, right? Same sort of mentality. Ultimately, Jesus can't proclaim that this woman's sins are forgiven unless her sins are against whom? Against him. He's showing in this moment that ultimately he is God in the flesh coming to forgive sinners for 
their wrongs against him. He's on a rescue mission to set us free from our rejection. Who is this who can forgive sins, the people ask? This is the one that we've sinned against in the flesh. And hear this, old sinner. The one whom you have sinned against does not want you to be rejected forevermore. He welcomes you to draw near. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you eternal life. And in this moment, we learn that the Pharisee had been all wrong about his analysis of this woman. You see, he thought she was a sinner. That's what he said in his mind. But ultimately, this woman was not a sinner who came to Jesus. She was a saint. She was a saved sinner. She was one that Jesus had covered with his righteousness. And when this Pharisee saw a sinner, Jesus saw one that was covered by his blood. He saw one that had been forgiven. He saw one that you, my friends, have the opportunity to be as well because of his great love. And so the the final couple of lessons I want to just mention real quick related to this woman and and the way she shows this love to this Savior would, would be how we ought to respond to this greatest love. How can this woman teach us about once we've received this love, how we then ought to carry that love on in our response? Well, she shows us that we need to let loose of our resources first. This woman didn't have much. But when she encountered the greatest love of all, she used all that she had to serve Christ. She didn't have water to wash his feet, but she had her tears, and she used those. She didn't have a a, a vase to carry that in, but she walked close, and she used her hair to dry his feet. She, didn't, she did have this costly vial of perfume and she took that which she did have that was of value and she gladly gave it up in serving the Lord. And here's a great example for each and every one of us. What do we have that the Lord Jesus isn't worthy of? The answer is nothing. Which of our possessions is less worthy of being employed in his service? None of them. What time is allotted to us that is not worthy of being rendered in his service? None of it. And friend, I just want to call you to let loose of your resources. Christ gave us the devotion that he ultimately deserves. He has shown us that we ought to be yielding these things up to him. That's the first way to respond to the greatest love. The second is this. Let loose of your love. This woman was lavish love on display. She had been forgiven much and her sins had been forgiven. Her faith had made her well. And so in the midst of this situation she had found with God, she responded with much love. You know, there's a question really that I think Luke wants to draw us each to as we read through this. On this side of this event, who do you associate with in this passage? Do do you associate with the Pharisee who's kind of grown up and doing all the right religious things and carrying out all the right religious rituals and there's really not a lot that you feel like you need to be forgiven of? Do you find yourself in his shoes? Or do you find yourselves in the shoes of this woman before she was forgiven by Christ? Do you find yourself in the place where everybody knows that you're a sinner? Everybody knows, I mean, it's publicly known, it's keenly aware in your heart that you've fallen short of what God's desire is for you. Do you you find yourself there? Well, here's the good news, my friends. It doesn't matter which of those states you are in. Jesus invited both of these individuals to this 
one great love. This one great forgiveness was available to both of them. Jesus wanted Simon the Pharisee to see this lesson so that Simon the Pharisee would turn away from his self-righteousness and cling to a Savior. Jesus wanted this sinful woman to know that he was a Savior so that she would turn away from her sin and trust in what only he could do. Or maybe you find yourself in the situation of the woman who has ultimately entrusted her life to Christ And so now her lot is a life of love and devotion because great forgiveness, my friends, ultimately deserves a great love in return. How is your love for Christ on this day? Do you recognize what he has forgiven you of? Well, ultimately, as we wind down here today, I want to invite you, no matter which of those situations you might be in, to draw close to the one who welcomes sinners into his presence and ransoms and redeems and forgives individuals in any of those states. You see, ultimately, God is the one who started this thing out. God is the one who let love loose in Christ, unbound, unhindered love, love which did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but love which humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We read in Philippians chapter 2. Do you want to know what love let loose looks like? Then look at what Jesus has done for you, my friends, because he has let love loose so that you might be redeemed. You might be forgiven. And then as you find his love, let loose for you. Would you devote your life to him? Would you pray with me? Father, as we close in these moments with the truth of what your gospel presents for us here, God, I pray you give us the courage to give true examination to all that is involved in this passage. Where do we stand, Lord? Are we relying on our own righteousness? Are we wallowing in our own sin without a sign of hope? Are are we redeemed and forgiven and yet not walking with a hot pursuit of the one who has granted us great forgiveness? Lord, let the example of this woman be, for each and every one of us, a call to a great love. Let us, O Lord, not go away from this place without truly considering, is there a way in which I need to let love loose for the Savior? And Father, I pray that through your grace, you might draw to yourself those who need this message, that the greatest of all loves has come to us in the form of one who bore our wrath, who stood in our place, who has taken the spot that we deserve, so that we could find love and we could find life and we could find forgiveness. And let this, O Lord, be the fuel we need to be your servants. Father, as the needs may be in every heart in this place, I pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would call as only you can call. There are decisions that need to be made. If there are individuals that need to turn to Christ for a trust of everlasting eternity, 
then, oh, Lord, I pray you'd grant by the power of your spirit the courage to do so. If there are others who need to refresh their commitment to you, who need to let their love loose in service of the one who has forgiven them for all things, then pray, I pray, oh, Lord, that you would grant the, the courage to make these decisions. There may be other prayers which need to be made. There may be other decisions which need to be made. Lord, you do what only you can do. We call on individuals to respond to you in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.